Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Welcome to episode two of season two of the People of Packaging podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Peek, and in this episode, I got to sit down with Steve Savage, the head of 1908 Brands, and the conversation was interesting because it started off with just an intro, and it was one of the first interviews I did. Uh, back last year, and I didn't really do my research super well because uh, Steve let me know that he had been the president of Eco Products, and so we got to talk about compostability and PLA when it comes to a lot of the single serve items, utensils, and problems with uh, flexible packaging. Where that's at now, our conversation gets uh, really interesting, and it was an interesting perspective uh, for somebody to be able to share who was not only in the industry with uh, when he was at Eco Products, but also now as the head of a CPG company out of Boulder, Colorado, 1908 brand. So um, I hope that you learn a lot from this. Uh, I actually think that there were some follow-up questions that I, I probably could have asked during that time uh, that now that I've been at this now for a year, I would probably ask him. So maybe we'll try to get him back on again, or we'll do some sort of highlight with 1908 brands. But either way, I think the interview was was a ton of fun. It was super informative. And I hope that you guys are able to connect with him, 1908brands.com. The reason for the name 1908 brands is fascinating and involves the mere woods and all sorts of good stuff. So uh, I really hope you get to dig in, settle in and enjoy this interview with Steve Savage from 1908 brands. Welcome to another uh, interview here with the People of Packaging podcast. I've got Steve Savage, and um, Steve's got a really interesting perspective on packaging, and I'll kind of let you talk about that a little bit. Um, We've interviewed quite a few different people that are sort of in the packaging world, you know, designers and graphics people and things of that nature. And uh, we, but everyone's sort of in the packaging space. Everybody buys packaging, at least every human being in America does. We all own packaging, though we don't want it. Then we have to throw it away or we have to recycle it. We got to do something with it. But we're all packaging consumers on some level. And you in particular have, have built and are continuing to build a, you know, a really cool and exciting CPG firm uh, here in Boulder, Colorado. Um, it was hard for me to come here, by the way, I'm a CSU grad. So coming, you know, coming on to Boulder is, uh, is no, it's, it, that's like the most fake rivalry ever, I think. But, um, so, uh, Steve, why don't you maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, kind of what you do here at 1908 Brands. And then, um, I've got some questions related to just packaging in general, um, for you guys here. So. All right. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, 1908 Brands, we have six brands out in the marketplace. Uh, Everything from our first brand, Boulder Clean, which is plant-based cleaners and detergents. Obviously, all come in packaging. Um, And then we have five food brands that also come in packaging. 
But before I get into those brands, it's probably good to understand kind of my past. Yeah. Um, my previous company was called Eco Products, and Eco Products in the packaging space really looked at coffee cups and cold cups and deli containers and to-go containers and straws and cutlery and so forth and decided, you know, that category of packaging is really, really bad. Yep. It's a ton of plastic, ton of packaging. None of it is recyclable. Technically, it is recyclable, but since it has food waste in it, nobody does it. Mm -hmm. And the recycling centers don't want to use it and accept it if it's got food waste on it and so forth. Um, so we worked with uh, a company called NatureWorks that was owned by yeah. uh, Cargill at the time. And we developed a resin with them called polylactic acid, otherwise known as PLA, mm -hmm. that really made all those items I mentioned that you find in a coffee shop in a, or a stadium or restaurant compostable so made and also made from corn so this polylactic acid derivative of corn was compostable so it's from nature and returns to nature um, so that's what i did uh eco products was a 20 year old company and that's an area we really focused in on the last eight years um, and really changed the yeah. disposable food service category where sure. now all of those packages are you know 20 percent are compostable so looking to do that now in the consumer product space with our line boulder clean as i mentioned and then our five food brands so our five food brands are schultz gourmet which is cooking sauces and barbecue sauces and rub we have pasta jays which is a pasta sauce we have thrive tribe which is paleo snacks that are gluten-free grain-free and dairy-free we have three bears which is oat bars and squeeze packs and oatmeal cups and then we also have a bundle organic so bundle organics is our brand newest brand it just launched last november which are bars bites powders drinks and teas for women either in their fertility stage, pregnancy stage, or lactation stages. So all those consumer products have packaging needs. Sure. We work a lot with the Sustainable Packaging Coalition to try to make each and every package that our products come in better. Mm -hmm. And you can do that a number of different ways, using recycled fiber, making it recycled full, um, and also... Uh, uh, if possible, compostable. Right. That's uh, the, I see eco products everywhere these days. So yeah. um, that's, uh, it, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't know that you had that connection because that's, a, that's a fascinating, that, the whole, the whole push and movement within the packaging space to compostability um, from, from my perspective, being, being a Colorado native really was driven by that. I mean, eco products was, not not the only company doing it, but certainly one of the first that I ever saw that brought it to kind of the mainstream, uh, especially when it comes to, like you said, disposable cups and things of that nature. So how how do you bring how do you bridge that gap, or what what things are you guys doing when it comes to a consumer product good that is 
is is maybe pushing the the limits, just like you did with eco products, pushing the limits of uh, compostability. Or there's a big push now for like reusability. Uh, you see ocean plastics being harvested and turned into shampoo bottles and things of that nature. Um, what sorts of things are, are you doing given your background with, with some of your products? Are you finding that more challenging? Um, I mean, in the consumer product space, it is very challenging. I mean, well, with, with some of the brands like Pasta Jays and Schultz, I mean, you can, you, you, use glass right so you can use glass made from recycled material um and it glass is also very recyclable with uh boulder clean we can also spec certain amounts of post-consumer fiber in our packaging and we're also testing uh, a sugarcane fiber um in our packages so it's a matter of using and really specking uh into your with working with your bottle suppliers and manufacturers to add recyclable or recycled resin in it and also make sure it's recyclable. Mm -hmm. Where the big challenge is, is flexible packaging and film for bars. So with flexible packaging, you need what's called a high MVTR, which is moisture vapor transmission rate. Um, That's very hard to do with compostable um, because compostable, the package needs to breathe. Mm-hmm. So you can't have a high MVTR with compostable films. So you have to go and try to do recyclable, uh, which our auto dish packs are in a recyclable film. So it's all polyethylene. It's three different layers of polyethylene, but it's pure polyethylene as opposed to one layer of polyethylene and one layer of something else. Right. And now there's contamination. Um, so... You know, it's, it's very hard um, to have a good MVTR made from one resin type and also provides the protection that your product needs. I mean, it needs to have a 12-month shelf life. Right. Um, so, you know, meeting all that criteria and trying to stay within a price point that is reasonable to keep the price competitively priced on the shelf. Mm-hmm. It's all a very big challenge. And from one to 10 in the flexible check, flexible packaging space, you know, 10, we found the perfect solution. And one, we're just getting started. We're probably at a two or three. Right. I mean, we are testing some films. We are, you know, we've been successful with one of our items, but that item doesn't really need um, a high MVTR rate. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a challenge right now. We're working yeah. on it. Uh, we're testing different films. Um, we're probably one of the leaders in the space and trying to innovate. Uh, but it's not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that, well, I know that's a, that's a concern that's shared across the entire category. I mean, flexible packaging for, for all of the, the benefits and value that it has, whether it's the the single-use pouches, you know, with the spouts, or like you're talking about the bars. There's a there's a very functional component to them, um, in terms of you know space to ship and cost models and things like that. Um, but you're you're absolutely right. The 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 recyclability or you know the reusability or compostability, which hasn't we haven't even really gotten to. That's that's been just a huge struggle. 
because I think there are a lot of, as, as consumer behavior has adapted and shifted over the years, it seems like I see a lot more brands who are leading and pushing uh, and, and using packaging as, as an overall component of their, of who they are. You know, it's, it, their, their ethos as a, as a company extends all the way through from how they source their raw materials for their goods all the way to their packaging, you know, to how they treat their, their employees. I mean, it's, it's a, it's good to see because I think for a while there we had, you know, what's kind of called greenwashing where people would just kind of try to make themselves look like they were responsible, but at the end of the day, they really didn't care. You know what I mean? So yeah, I mean, it's got to come from the company. I mean, Patagonia is a big leader in trying to find right. better textiles and so forth with their clothing, but they also pay a lot of attention to packaging. You know, now in this day and age with the, you know, the expansion of e-commerce, I mean, packaging is almost everything. Yep. When you get something on your front porch, that is the opportunity for the manufacturer to send a message. Um, you know, if a product's broken... That's a problem. Um, but if a customer opens the package and the product looks good and there's, you know, nice prints and there's a coupon inside and the product performs well or tastes great, I mean, that's a positive experience. But in the e-commerce world, the first 10 seconds a customer has with your company is when they pick it up off their front porch mm-hmm. and try to open that package. Yeah, and we've all struggled with toys and stuff getting them out of those packages. Um, you know, that's a negative experience. Right. Um, so companies now are trying to make things easier um, and protect quality because if it's broken and needs to be returned, I mean that's a disaster. That's a disaster for the company. One. That person's going to get a credit, and that ends up coming out of the manufacturer's pocket. Mm-hmm. And that pro- person may never order that product again and probably right. won't. So when you think about packaging, you know, um, in returns is environmentally um, a problem because now you have the cost of product coming all the way back. Right. And then maybe going all the way back to the household again. I mean, now you're talking about lots of transportation of moving broken unwanted packages so um, doing it right even if it costs a little bit more in corrugate um, mm-hmm. which is recyclable you know it's definitely from an environmental and a company perspective do it once and do it right 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 how has that uh, how is e-commerce from from a CPG perspective there there's the packaging component but um, how has that impacted what what you do? Because I know uh, I believe Boulder uh, Boulder Clean was started kind of through traditional retail channels. Would I be correct in saying that? Yeah. Okay. And then um, so how are you adapting to different consumer behaviors? Because I know I buy things way differently today than I ever did, even probably three years ago. Um, you know, I'm buying stuff from from my phone significantly more than, than than I ever did. And you're feeling that a little bit in some retail spaces, though some retailers are doing really well. Yeah, what, what's important to remember is less than 5%, I think it's 3.5% of food 
is still bought is now being bought on e-commerce. So oh, okay. it's still over 95% of people are still buying their food at grocery stores. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do think the world of food is changing where delivery is going to be a big part, but I don't think that means UPS. Mm-hmm. You know, not many people buy their bananas through UPS. Right. Um, right. It gets UPS. I mean, yeah, you want to feel it and touch it. But Amazon a- Fresh, where someone comes with, you know, four bags of groceries, I mean, that's where the future is going. So I think in regards to how you buy things, um, hot tub filters, yeah, you're probably going to order off Amazon and you're going to get it by UPS. Right. But things from the grocery store, I don't see traditional Amazon and UPS solving that solution, but Amazon Fresh and other Instacart and... Mm-hmm. Other delivery methods is probably the future. Yeah. Um, and that means less packaging mm-hmm. um, in that respect. Right, right. Well, and even the, the idea that, um, uh, you know, I so I have five kids, my wife and I do, and they're all under the age of 12. And so we do a lot of, you know, we do the grocery shopping online, the Instacart. So we go through and uh, we live in outside of Salt Lake City and there's a Smith's right next to our house. So we'll go online and I'll pick out everything we need and we go through our list and then we pull up and, you know, somebody comes out and they load it in and, and away we go. And so I, I don't know how, how much that's happening. Maybe we're just, I'm sure there's more people than just me doing it, but you know, where I'm not going into the stores as much, I'm not shopping, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm a grocery buyer than I am a grocery shopper. Um, and so I found, I, what I have found from, from a packaging perspective is my, the, the packaging has to not only work on a retail shelf, but it also has to have some sort of component to the home because people are reordering from their house. People are, you know, I'm buying stuff from, from in my house. Is, do you guys take things like that into consideration when you're looking at your, specifically your product packaging? Is it not only retail or e-commerce but also, um, you know, what types of things might you do to help with, you know, a, a, a mom or a dad with five kids who? Yeah, I mean, every brand's going to be a little bit different, but sure. for Boulder Clean, I mean, we're developing a, a bag in a box okay. laundry detergent. So it's actually from an environmental and a practical standpoint for e-commerce, both significantly better than shipping a a plastic tub of laundry detergent right um where you can just put a label on this box and ship it Hmm. and when the customer gets it they just pull out the little nozzle and start pouring their laundry detergent so it's kind of like yeah the wine bag in a box but we're doing that with laundry detergent um can you buy um is there a way to either refill or replace or is it no. Oh, okay. But the bladder, the box is, of course, recyclable. And right. the bladder is recyclable in the How to Recycle program. You would need to bring it to a grocery store, but then you could put it in okay. the bat, the container at the front of the grocery store. Cool. That's awesome. Um, so what would you say, from a packaging perspective, we kind of touched on a little bit with the flexible films, um, but what, what do you think as a, as a, 
CPG companies, your biggest frustration with packaging right now? Like if you could wave a magic wand and be like, man, I just want this to be somebody to figure this out. What would that thing be? Um, I think, I think we talked about it. I mean, yeah. the flexible packaging. Okay. Um, everything else is pretty easy. I mean, everything yeah. else we make is in glass or, you know, high density polyethylene or PET. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really the, uh, flexible packaging in the bar film. Yeah. That's the problem. That's it. Yeah. Um, Awesome. So, uh, kind of my last my last couple of questions. Um, number one, I, I had asked you about this a little bit earlier, but tell tell us about the name nineteen oh eight brands because I, um, I I when when you guys first kind of came out with it, I was like, that's a cool story. At first, I was like, what does this mean, nineteen oh eight brands? Um, but because I think it's cool because it, it's it's meaningful, and we're here in your office, and you you see it and you feel it. Here, so uh, why that name and uh, right? Um, so my great great uncle in 1908 uh, purchased 300 acres of redwood forest just outside San Francisco uh, to save the forest from being logged and lumbered. Um, and then two days later, turned around and donated it to Teddy Roosevelt and the U.S. government with the recently formed uh, Antiquities Act, which enabled government to form national parks and protect land. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so that's uh, that happened in 1908. You know, it's always been something my family's been proud of. Um, you know, it's not only you know, purchasing and then gifting, but it's, you know, the sustainability part of it. It's the unselfishness part of it. And the letters are actually on our website. If you read the letters, it's, they're really incredible between William Kent and Teddy Roosevelt. And they go back and forth a little bit on, you know, uh, the land purchase and Teddy Roosevelt wanted it to be named the William Kent Woods. And William Kent basically said, no, I'd rather not put my own name on it. Please name it after my good friend, John Muir, the famous environmentalist at the time. Okay. Um, So, you know, it was also very unselfish in the gifting. All of it was such a great story. I thought it would be neat to build a company around that act. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and that would be, so, um, that's kind of my last question is, well, how do people kind of get in touch with, with your brand? How do they interact with your brand? So, uh, reading, you know, letters about how did the, the Muir Woods get named sounds like a really fun and exciting thing to go do. So that would be at like 1908brands.com. Is that where? Yes. You can go to 1908brands.com and you can sign up for, um, you know, our newsletters and think by signing up, you're automatically put into our email blast. And then you can go to each and one of our social media sites for all six brands, including 1908 brands. So I guess seven sites, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, from the original web- website, 1908 brands, you can click to the other brands and 
you know, if you really wanted to follow the brands or 1908 brands, you just put in your name and you'll get the information. Nice. So um, I have, uh, like I said, I have five children and people don't ever ask me which one's my favorite. But if each of these brands was a kid, do you really, do you like secretly have a favorite or do you have to, or are you like, no, they're all, they're all great. They're all. <laughs> no, it's funny. We, we do think of our brands as our kids. I mean, a lot of our branding is about family. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of 1908 Brands is about a family member or a parent company right. uh, to the brands. And so we do think of our brands as children. Uh, Boulder Clean's kind of our firstborn, and it's the biggest in the most retailers. So we kind of consider it off to college. Yeah, um, that's fun. You know, we do need to pay tuition in regards to slotting fees, but it's, you know, it's off on its own. Schultz Gourmets in high school, Thrive Tribes in grade school, uh, Pasta J's and Three Bears is in grade school, and Bundle Organics is just born, and, you know, we're giving it the love and care that a newborn needs. As far as favorites, uh, yeah, you have favorites, but yeah. I can't tell you what. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, thanks so much. I pre- that was super, way more insightful um, than, than I had anticipated, which is, which is great. So uh, thanks so much. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yep. This concludes Season 2, Episode 2 of the People of Packaging podcast. I'd like to thank our host, Adam, and our guest, Steve Savage, for providing some great insights on sustainability and the depth of sustainable products and thinking in regards to the environment. Um, So definitely please like and share this episode with others. Our next episode, we'll be interviewing Maggie Wedemeyer, owner of Benevolent Beauty, as she takes us through her journey within her career of packaging and her insights. So until then, again, please like, share this episode, and thank you for tuning in. Until the next one.